Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022 and welcome to the Permission to Be podcast. If we have not met yet on the interwebs or in person, my name is Tommy Allgood and I am a co-host of the Permission to Be podcast along with my dear, dear friends Becca Epley and Olivia Bethay. Just wanted to give you a little bit of an update on some of the things that we have going on, some of the things that you can participate in, ways that you can be in community with us. Um, And the first way is our monthly newsletter, the Permission to Be newsletter. That's where all of our announcements go, where we are able to lift up community, friends of the pod, Uh, tell you about upcoming episodes, opportunities to participate in mutual aid and receive education from a community of educators rooted in uh, anti-oppressive tactics, anti-racism, decolonization, and much, much more. Um, Also want to let you know that you have an opportunity to support the podcast financially if you actually go to uh, patreon.com slash Tommy Allgood, there's a tier that you can subscribe and, uh, and for support at, at the $30 tier. And all of that will go to covering the cost that it uh, takes to produce this podcast, in addition to helping us get to our goal of compensating all the guests who come on and share their time and expertise with us. I also want to let you know about a new initiative that I launched this year called the All Good Collective. And it's my attempt to move from a more individual practice to a collective practice of liberation and community. Um, There'll be more details coming out about that. But if you, again, head over to the Patreon page that Tommy All Good Um, It'll tell you a little bit more about that, how we're doing that, ways to make um, mutual aid and intentional practice, and ways to learn in community together. We also want to tell you that we're starting a book club. Yay! And our first book is going to be by Dr. Hilary McBride, The Wisdom of Your Body. We are so excited, and Dr. McBride happens to be our guest for the podcast today, and so we have a really special episode planned for you. Um, I hope that it meets you in a place of calm. I hope that you can take some time and really center yourself and be with the words and the spirit um, and the feelings and sensations that come up as you listen to this. If you're not familiar with Dr. Hilary McBride's work, she's a counselor, a therapist, a speaker, a writer, a researcher based in Vancouver, uh, Canada, and she's making therapy more accessible um, and therapy research more easy to understand. Um, if you want to reach out to her you can go to hillarylmcbride.com or find her on social media at hillary mcbride on instagram and i think facebook as well 
We'll link those in the show notes. We're so happy you're here. Thank you for supporting us. And instead of setting intentions this year, we're transitioning to moving with intentionality. And so we invite you into that with us to continue to grow and transform and act in ways and be in ways that change and heal the world. We love you. See you on the other side. Hello and welcome to Permission to Be. Let's hit him with the remix. Oh, well, y'all got to change yes. that. Yes. <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, we leave our F-bombs in and... Let's tell some stories. As long as white people are bound, the people in power are bound, they're going to keep us bound to the same thing that they're bound to. Out of, uh, the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speak, that I think out of the overflow of the spirit, the body does. Why, why is that the best that God could offer you? Mike made it very clear that he did not want to get any of these questions beforehand. So he is getting this question live, raw, for the very first time. This is, um, yeah. and I feel like art is the expression of the heart where uh, words fail. Oh my goodness, I have tears. Oh, y'all are killing it. Unfiltered. I feel like that's gotta sound strange. Permission to be. Uh, actually, my, my my literary agent, when we were talking about what book might I write, he was like, I mean, A Black Man with Hope is an interesting book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Hi. So what did you want to say, Tommy? Hi. we have been enveloping ourselves in your words for the last 48 hours and having a mass text message conversation and so i'm just gonna lay that bare yeah so wow oh i feel so honored that is really moving (laughs) to me to know thank you wow Um, it's so special to know i was with you Kind of in yes. that way yeah. with the three of you. Um, welcome, Dr. McBride. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, friends, we are continuing a conversation. Um, it has been two years, almost like to the oh, yeah. Almost when this day. comes out, it will be have been almost two years to the day. Oh my goodness! How did we get that yeah. timing, just yeah. like that, just perfect like that? Yeah. Wow, um, two years too long. And mm-hmm. so much has happened. <laughs> so much has happened. Yeah. In in that time, um, yeah. but I I first just. You, you kind of already asked it when you first came in, but um, mm. I want to ground us tonight in the question of how are we coming into this space? Mm. Is that something for all of us? Because I'd love to hear from the three of you as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, who wants to go first? <laughs> I'm coming in relieved. There's been a lot of circumstantial 
things happening in my life. And there has been a lot of resolve today. Mm. And so that's like a big deep breath. Uh, Resolve. Very good things. And um, I don't want to delve into this too much until later on in our conversation. But some of the resolves has come in our conversation that your words sparked in your um, latest book. Wow. So, yes. Oh, that is so, um, that's so touching to me. Wow. Thank you for sharing that about Mm -hmm. yourself, but also about my work. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling that exhale with you. Mm -hmm. Olivia? Um, I'd probably say a mix of, um, curious and inspired. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm innately intellectually curious, so that's just my default wiring. Um, so I'm curious about it, all things at all times. Um, but I'm also inspired, um, by, there's a few chapters in particular (laughs) that, that really leaped out at me. I was telling them earlier that like, oh gosh, where was this message 20 years ago? <laughs> I wish somebody had, had put this out there then, um, but it's good to hear it even now. Mm. Wow. Mm. I'm also, I'm just feeling so resonant with what you were saying. Olivia, I feel curious and inspired. Just I felt that move through me as you were talking about it too. Those are places that I love to live. Um, kind of in terms of how I orient myself to the world. But I'm noticing as I'm arriving here today, I feel like, um, you know, the the feeling when you're driving really fast on the highway and then you take an off-ramp and it feels like the speed is way too slow. It's just the like, <laughs> oh, the winding down is like, whoa, am I crawling? What's happening? But there is like, oh no, I, I kind of the adjustment that happens, the pace. Mm-hmm. So as I was telling you before we got on the call, I'm feeling tired today and it's been kind of a mad rush up into this moment. And now I feel myself slowing. Ooh, and I'm noticing the, the difference in pace and it feels really good. It felt a little like clunky in my body at first, but now I'm feeling... Oof, like I'm I'm cruising here with the three of you. Tommy. Tommy? <laughs> um I am coming like there's so much. I'm 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 coming first tingly. Um my body is like feels like it's electrified. Um, my heart is palpating a little bit quickly, um, and it's like not anxiety, but definitely excitement. Um, I'm also coming very like tender. Um, I've spent the last week battling like a cold and playing the is it COVID game Um, and I think to use your analogy that's slowing down and so to be in the presence of 
you three women right now um some of the women who shape me and hold me um i feel really tender Mm. and it feels really special to be ending 2021 in this space so Mm. yeah we want to take a moment and invite you to check in with yourself how are you coming into this episode today? What feelings are in your body? What sensations might you notice? Didn't make it to minute five before you start crying. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's seven forty. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, I'm just noticing, really feeling so much gratitude of being in this space that we've created already together. The the gentleness, the presence, feels really refreshing. Mm. 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 Friends, um, this is Dr. Hilary McBride with us tonight, and if you do not know her, um, I, I, I will probably do this in injustice because I'm not looking at it verbatim, but she uh, is a psycho, would you say psych- psychotherapist, right? Yeah, psychologist, okay. psychotherapist. Psychologist, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, psychologist, mm-hmm. psychotherapist, lecturer, researcher, um, a mom, um, wow. <laughs> uh, a, f- a friend of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> so I will warn you, this will probably feel like picking up in the middle of something. So you might want to go back and listen to episode the first episode that we talked about this. And um, I listened back to that. And can I just say it feels really prophetic after I've <laughs> gone back and listened to that. And now having read the book and like, wow. <laughs> like, girl, this is going to be one. I got like I've been I had I've been reading on my Kindle. I have mm-hmm. to get the physical copy because this <laughs> I, I have to have this book in highlight all physical the things. space and time. <laughs> oh, wow, Tommy. Wow, thank you. Welcome. Oh, it feels so good to be with you again. Yeah. Yeah, it feels so good. And wow, I mean, are you my new hype person? This is like... <laughs> I mean, take, take you everywhere. You know my bio better than I do. I quit my job, so I'm available. So. <laughs> okay. 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 We got stuff to talk about. That's right. Mission to fill here. <laughs> so, okay. I, I, I honestly, I truly don't even know where to start. Um, but first, I want to 
start like we've we've done a little check-in and thank you so much for that and, and indulging um but for i guess maybe let's orient the audience for people who don't know you um and, and share a little bit about who you are and oh my gosh two years so much yes. so much has changed wow uh-huh. <laughs> yeah okay um a little snapshot of what I do for those of you who might be new to my work or, um, yeah, the more of the professional ways that I show up in the world. I'm a, as you mentioned, Tommy, I'm a psychologist. And I think when I trace that back to its origin, I think about the number of times I had therapy and I think it did not go well. Like when I was the patient, when I was the person receiving care. And I think, about the harm that was done. I think about the ways probably more, maybe more accurately that I was missed and the things that were really important along the way that now looking back, I see, wow, if someone would have told me that earlier, if someone would have showed up for me in that way, I wouldn't have had to be alone with my pain for so long. And maybe, maybe that would have changed, like alchemized the pain itself. But that I don't know. What I do know is that it is extraordinarily painful to be a human and feel alone with the things that you are struggling with because we are meant to hold it together. And, and so I think these experiences of like really, I don't know, do I want to call it negligent therapy or just unskillful or like maybe misattuned would be a better word, created in me this interest to explore um, how to do therapy well, what that means, um, how to be with people in a way that creates a felt sense of being held, uh, feeling understood, and really skillfully supporting someone to, to encounter healing in the midst of pain. And one of the central things that has continued to come up for me in that journey is how the body is involved in that. Because in our field, as I mean, the the history of psychology is dominated, I mean, I would say with colonialism, white supremacy, kind of privilege, kind of hierarchies of who is the knowledge keeper, who's the healer, who's the person who has pathology. And in many of those spaces, how power is distributed has the person kind of who is the kind of air quote healer in the room, neglecting that bodies are a really important part of how suffering is experienced, how healing is experienced, how power is con- like um, conferred in different spaces. And so we have a history in psychology of neglecting the body. And I think that's for political reasons. And I think it's um, not a mistake on some level that the people who were considered the healers neglected this very significant component of what it means to be human. So I, I think I, I came by this disembodiment in my own lived experience and in the practice of therapy, quite honestly. And for me, the revolution that started inside when I could understand that the, my body was not this problem to be solved, but actually the place that was telling the truth about what was going on in our culture, what's going on in my family system, what was going on in um, my internal world, and then consequently or subsequently, how we can use the body to access resources that have otherwise been neglected 
um, when we see the body as the problem. I mean, all of this has been deeply influential in how I understand now what it means to be human and what it means to heal in connection with other people. Hey friends, it's Tommy, and we want to try something a little bit more intentional this season. And I'm going to leave you with this integrative question, and we'll figure out how in the future we're going to interact with these integrative questions. But what truth does your body tell about the world that you live in? What stories does your body hold? that have been silenced. I mean, there are so many other things I could say, <laughs> by either tangentially or kind of with perhaps um, some rigor or uh, depth or robustness. Is that the word? Robustness? But perhaps <laughs> sure. we'll leave it there and um, <laughs> and we can, we can dive in in what feels re- resonant and perhaps maybe... I'd love to hear what's happened for you as you've read the book as well. Uh, wow. <laughs> that, that was, it was, it, it was, yeah, that, yeah. Just like listening to <laughs> you weave your story into the, 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 uh, the intellect and bringing so, sort of like what we know in our body, um, but now have like words for Mm-hmm. that that's been my experience so much um navigating through your work over the last couple of days um and and so why don't you tell us uh, uh you said you wanted to hear about um our experience with the uh your book your book also we should probably say the name of, of your book <laughs> no, it's it's secret. you have to guess it <laughs> It'll be like some sort of treasure treasure hunt that we'll uh, drop clues to through the podcast, but we'll never mention it. No, just kidding. I'm sure my publisher won't be thrilled with that. Right. <laughs> You're allowed to say it, I promise. Yeah. All right. It's called The Wisdom of Your Body, mm. Finding Healing, Wholeness, and Connection Through Embodied Living. Okay. I, I have to also say, wasn't this book supposed to be called embodied what oh, we yeah. think feel and do matters for just about everything <laughs> <laughs> this is you're keeping me honest here there this is i think the third title for the book so you know okay. as you as an author pitch a book and you know talk to a publisher and then your agent talks to the publisher and then somewhere someone gets an idea that maybe there's a better title for a different reason and whatnot so these things evolve but it was going to be that and then I think the the title in between was this is my body Hmm. which you get some really, really good mystical Christian nods mm-hmm. to in there when we think about that specific language. But yes, in this most um, present form, it is the <laughs> wisdom of your body. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. What a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but Becca, Olivia, what has been your experience um, with the book? Well, I would love... Something we were, oh, I was, I've been trying to look for the word 
um, the specific wording that the three of us really um, latched onto, which was Tommy, Olivia, help me remember. Um, it's uh, the skin touch. No, remember when skin you want to talk skin hunger. Thank you. Uh, that is, we've had a lot of conversation around that and is brought light. Um, I think it alludes to what Tommy was just talking about, about things that we know in our body, but we don't have, or we didn't have language for. Um, and so I would love for you to share a little bit more um, with the people who are joining us about um, skin hunger and the significance and what really drew you to just develop that more. Okay. Well, I should, again, be, be really um, careful in how I articulate this. Those are not my words. This is me okay. reporting other people's kind of uh, really thorough research and work. So I'm just mm -hmm. nodding to it. Okay. So there is, if there is something that someone wants to learn more about and do a deep dive in, there are lots of other people who have researched this. Um, think of me as the distributor of this knowledge <laughs> and not the, not the creator of it. But I think of it in terms of like appetite. Like when we think about hunger, most of us have some degree of familiarity of appetite. And as someone who's lived through and recovered from an eating disorder, appetite is a particularly helpful metaphor for me in understanding the nuanced relationship with enoughness and desire and kind of the ways that we long to, when we are listening to our body, be satiated by resources that keep us sustained. And so skin hunger might be described in terms of maybe appetite is another way of thinking about it. Appetite for touch, appetite for closeness and for proximity to the bodies of others. We know with other kinds of appetite, right? There are some people who are like, they, you know, they eat a ton of small meals throughout the day. There's other people who have gone, you know, without for so long that a binge episode is exactly what their body feels like it needs to get everything right, that they need. There's also mm -hmm. times when we've been without for so long that our hunger cues shut off that we get disconnected from it. And then there's preference too. There's what my body wants as a unique signature of my temperament and my desire for closeness, perhaps my trauma history, perhaps where I am at in my um, journey of connectedness to other people in a romantic relationship. I mean, there's all of these different factors that go on, go into what shapes our appetite for touch, but essentially that there is, there is, um, as a cornerstone of our sexuality, skin hunger is a way of our, a, it's our way of understanding kind of clinically or academically how, how we differentiate a person's need for touch based on how they compare it to their given, any given neighbor. Mm -hmm. And I think of this as being particularly interesting that you brought it up because in a time where our one of our most used words is social distancing or physical distancing. Mm -hmm. It's so important that we're exploring what is the impact on us in terms of there being, I mean, how do I say this? Like rations on the things that our bodies have appetites for. Yeah. And what does it mean when we're told that the thing that our bodies are wired to long for is also something that puts us in contact with danger. 
I mean, this is a very confusing thing for us that I don't think we're talking about enough that I don't think we necessarily have um, a solution for. But it's important that we're acknowledging that there are some of us who in the pandemic world are suffering greatly because the proximity to the bodies of other people has been cut off in such a way that one of our resources for well-being, for co-regulation, even for satisfaction or joy has been distanced from us. And there are other people who could live alone forever and kind of hermit and experience like a chosen isolation in a way. And it would feel deeply satisfying for them to be at, have more distance physically from other people. And maybe it would feel distressing for them to be in physical proximity to others. And they're having the time of their life because all of a sudden they don't have to go to other people's homes and they can have more space (laughs) and they can feel like all of a sudden the pressure to show up in a certain way is, is diminished, but skin hunger in pandemic life needs to be addressed as it's impacting us. Those of us who are longing for physical touch, but perhaps don't have access to it in the same way. first um um Tommy first called attention to that and I read it and I shared it with a friend of mine and so we got into this whole back and forth sidebar about the significance of touch and I told her um because yeah, I, I, I know you said that's that you didn't originate that term but it just so spoke to something skin hunger huh. just the, the the way it's phrased and I said well you know until I read this part of her book I'd never really given much thought to the significance of touch and how important it is. And then I was in my hard drive looking for something and found this whole poem I wrote on February the 16th, 2021. The title of it is Touch. <laughs> That's oh. the title of it is Touch. <laughs> and so then I texted her back and said, and I sent it to Tommy and Becca too. I said, okay, apparently <laughs> I have been thinking about it. And there's even right. a line in there that talks about what you said is that you know, during this time of social distancing, um, it's magnified. Um, and it's just, so it just really, I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more important to me than I even realized important enough that I read about it. I mean, wrote about it, forgot about it. <laughs> and then I read what you said and it was like this whole eureka moment. So I love it. I, you, I, I love that whole section. Oh, thank you so much. I'm appreciating that you kind of busted yourself. You're like, I don't know. This is like, I've never really thought about that. Oh, wait, right. <laughs> Something inside of you is saying this is important. And, and yet, I mean, I'm just so resonating with how, how in this season of my life, the things that are important sometimes find their way to the surface of my awareness, but then easily get buried under the kind of the routine of normalcy. And it's like this something inside is asking to be seen and it finds its way out. And then we forget about it. (laughs) And then we realize like, oh no, that something is still there asking to be attended to. So I, I'm, I'm just feeling the symmetry. I don't even remember writing it. But I mean, it is dated, so I can tell you it was written on February the 16th, 2021, and I don't remember writing it. Do you remember what the essence of it was? Like, would you be able to share that with us? 
Sure. The, the opening um, sentence says, um, where's the opening? Touch is while an she's unspoken. Doing that, oh, I was going to say, while she was doing that, Olivia has a gift of organizing because she's a writer. And uh. literally she can like think of an essay and was like, oh, I wrote it here and I put it here. And it <laughs> wow. is freaky. Oh, it's freaky. Good. It's freaky good. <laughs> freaky good. This is easy. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just read a few lines and uh, just like a few lines to give you the sense. But touch is an unspoken sensory language. It communicates without a word. It can uplift when you're down, revive when you're depleted, restore when you're shattered, comfort when you grieve. It's a tangible aspect of affection, uniquely empowered to console, support, and encourage. It took me a year in a pandemic to fully appreciate the significance of physical contact with other humans. Touch is medicine. So that's like mm. the first few lines. Mm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something about going without that helps us see how important it is. It reminds me of something someone in my family said this past week about how hunger is the best spice and how it makes everything, everything taste good. And, and I'm thinking about that in terms of this like synergistic conversation around appetite and skin hunger, Mm -hmm. that there is this, I certainly feel in myself longing to brush up against the shoulders of someone else at a concert to feel body swaying in unison Mm -hmm. and, in some sort of festive dance, whatever that might be at a wedding or at a party to Mm -hmm. feel the, you know, the way that we remember that we are together when our bodies get to be in proximity to each other. And that is, I think there's a real ache in me and I've heard in other people as well. I'm hearing in your poem too, that, that we can feel as the time stretches between now and when we last felt this kind of normal physical contact with others. Mm. Mm, That for me, what's emerging is this connection to um, trauma. And that's something that you also talk about um, in the book and not just individual trauma, but collective trauma um and it's so interesting i was just having a thought here it's like like we're using hunger um as a sort of metaphor and this thing that happens in our our belly and one of the things that i was like that's consistently said is there's this exhaustion and this fatigue um that i know that i feel in my body um and and so I guess, would you like to, how might like those aspects of touch and and locating ourselves within the context of a pandemic relate to individual and collective trauma? Um, And by the way, you were so vulnerable in this book. There were connection points that I made listening back from the first interview that you talked about um, in terms of your story in the book that I was just like, oh, shit. She was referencing, like, this car accident. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, but, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a that's another 
another piece when we think about the time stamp of our, time stamp of our last interview, hey, like right in the middle of these really significant traumatic events that happened. Um, Tommy, I want to be faithful to your question. Can you try asking it again? Because I want to, but just a little differently, I'm noticing either it's me feeling foggy or I want to make sure I understand what you're asking for. Could you try, could you try yeah, tossing yeah. that up again one more time for me? Yeah. So I, 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 I was, um, I was noticing all these connections, mm-hmm. right. And, and your book is talking about, um, embodiment and, and mm-hmm. sort of what's emerging for me are these lessons kind of like that we glean from listening to the body. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things for me that I've been experiencing is like this kind of constant fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing for me that that brings up when I think about the things that are contributing to that conti- fatigue um, internally, externally, is the co- this this notion of trauma, mm-hmm. which you talk about in the book. And so I, I it wasn't necessarily a, a specific question, okay. but how, what might we need to, how, you said that we don't talk about hunger enough, mm-hmm. uh, uh, specifically skin hunger. Um, and would, I guess my question could be like, is that a trauma when we think about that in the context of experiencing a pandemic, but not just a pandemic, like global protest over injustice and um, mm-hmm. economic woes and mm-hmm. like wars and natural disasters. Um, and you, you make these distinctions between individual traumas and collective traumas, how might that also factor in to this dis- discussion about the body? Mm-hmm. Oh, so much good stuff in there, Tommy. So many important pieces. I'm going to try to do justice to what you're asking. And if I'm neglecting a, a fragment of the question, please let me know so I can I can hit it on the second round. I think about our bodies as the great unifier between all of the ways that we have created division amongst each other and amongst ourselves. And so the body in terms of the fatigue that we're feeling doesn't differentiate between the individual traumas and the collective traumas. Our bodies Mm -hmm. are telling the story of what's happening. And what's happening is that we are all interwoven with each other and that when we are hurting and when something happens and, and it wounds the way that we show up in the world, it, it's going to impact our ability to feel close to and connect to other people. The, our, it impacts our ability to um, see the value in another person when we have a hard time believing that we have value and perhaps we've experienced things that devalue us. So I think what I'm really wanting to say in response to your question is that our bodies, regardless of how the trauma has happened, when our bodies feel overwhelmed, it's saying something about what is not, what's not gone right. It's saying something about how we are carrying the burden of the things that have happened to us. And when I say us, I mean that in the singular sense, like the individual traumas, but also the collective experiences of, of wounding because our bodies are wired to be in connection with each other when we are fragmented out, when we are feeling devalued and we devalue other people and there is this kind of hierarchy of 
of power that's created are we lose our ability to be in connection in a way that's restorative. We lose our ability to be in proximity to others in a way that gives us access to the resources that help us endure just the, the normative distressing experiences in life. And we are depleted. And so our, our fatigue, if I'm, you're adding, asking something about trauma and also touch and individual trauma and collective trauma and kind of the body. So I, I want to try to kind of weave this together here somehow, and hopefully I'm making sense. I think, I think it's important for us to examine how our fatigue is both the, the signal that something has not been working and also the thing that might at times get in the way of us getting the connection that we need. I think that it works kind of um, in a in both directions. When I think of fatigue as our body saying, I am paying the price for what has happened to me and my ancestors and my neighbors and kind of in this unified sense, what's happened to humanity when we hurt each other and when we are hurt, the interesting thing about fatigue is it also inhibits our ability at times to put energy towards getting the very thing that we need. So the trauma response that is signaling, I'm not okay, is meant to signal to other people, I need help. Can you come help me? Can you be in proximity to me? Can you be close to me? But when we are fragmented, our fatigue further isolates us. It further contributes to our experience of individual and collective trauma because we are cut off from the resources that we need to heal. So I don't know how to answer this question without saying that the, again, what I started by saying, which is that I think our body is this great unifier and we can look at the fragmentation within ourselves and between us and, and see what our bodies are telling us and simply just say, of course, of course we feel this way. Because look at how we treat each other and look at what's happened and look at how cut off we are from our stories and our practices and our connection to the land. And, and of course, no wonder we feel so tired. Look at what's happening. Mm. That was like, I wanted to toss something back to you and hopefully like I'm picturing braiding, like you gave me a bunch of different things, Tommy. I'm like, okay, how do these go together? Did that answer your question? That was, that was, that, that went deeper. I, I, I think in, in, in a way that I will be processing probably for the next year. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. No, in, 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 okay. in good ways, in good ways, right? Be, be, because you're, do, in, in some ways, right, um, what's happening is this attempt to intellectualize what simply must be experience. Mm-hmm. And 
that is what your book is repeating or pointing us toward at every iteration in, in, in direction in it. And so to even be able to, to speak with that intellectual depth of how what's happening internal, it manifests external. Um, I think, I think myself and those that hear that will be sitting with that for a long time. I hope that moves something mm. um, in those ears that that falls on. Well, this is why I love conversation because you asked a question that helped me think about something. And then as I toss it back to you, it sounds like something happened in you. And as you share with me, I'm like, oh, there's a really interesting piece too. It feels like something iterative is happening. Because as you said that, Tommy, I was like, yeah, something like what's happening outwardly is the manifestation of what's going on internally. And what's happening individually is often describing, is expressing what's happening collectively. The The pain that we feel individually is telling us something about what's happening in the fabric of our culture. Or maybe, you know, another way, what we think is happening mentally is probably also being expressed physically because all of this, and I hope this comes through in the book too, all of this is connected. All this, when I, I say that matters, the stuff of life, existence, beingness, it's all interwoven with every other form of beingness. And so it would be impossible for us to say, oh, I'm tired without also exploring, well, why am I tired? You know, what's happening with our systems that have people working so hard that they don't have time mm -hmm. to rest and do the things that they want to connect? Or I'm tired because I can't eat good food because I can't get access to good food because it's across town and I don't have a car because I have, you know, a disability and I can't drive or, you know, whatever the thing is that we're looking at, we can say I'm tired. And like I said, say, of course, but perhaps the thing that has to happen before the of course is how does it make sense? Look at what's around us. Our bodies are telling the truth about so many things that are not working. But many of us don't go beyond the I'm tired. <laughs> or we see the I'm tired and think of it as proof that we're not working hard enough. We're not hustling enough. There's something defective about us. We should just be like more coffee do like do more, do more, do more, or do less, do less, do less, withdraw, withdraw. I mean, whatever the response is, but there is, uh, it's so easy to scapegoat the body instead of seeing the body as the truth teller of both dysfunctional systems and the heritage that we have available to us, wherein we have resources far beyond our, our intellectual awareness, should we know how to access them. Something that just dawned on me, um, people who haven't read the book might be like entering this conversation like, what the <laughs> fuck are they talking about? <laughs> and in some ways, I think that might be related to something that you talk about in the book when you talk about how we've traditionally thought about our bodies and our bodies as object um, as opposed or not as opposed, um, with our bodies as subject. Yeah. Um, in, in, so 
do you think it might be beneficial yeah. to unpack that a little <laughs> bit? <laughs> I do. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up. We just we just jumped right in. But this is like a really important framing statement because for so many of us, and I mean, truly, I'm even thinking about my family who over Christmas was like, see, you wrote a book. That's great. What's it about? But embody what? What, what does this mean? <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, we got it. This is like in a way basic and foundational and yet missing, which is part of the reason I wanted to write this book because we don't really know how to, to think about our bodies in this way in a culture that has thrived off our disembodiment. Hmm. Um, and I say that because that, that last piece, because it's really important to acknowledge that needing to reintroduce embodiment as an intellectual concept so that we get it is not something that in other places around the world necessarily something that needs to happen because the distinction or the fragmentation from the body wasn't something that um, happened so prolifically that there are other cultures, other communities, other people group who don't have the luxury of leaving the body or never had to, to Mm -hmm. thrive in a system that asked them to. So there is something important about us needing to say our bodies are not just a thing in, in a world where that should be the most obvious thing to us. <laughs> so, okay, I digress. Um, <laughs> our bodies. <laughs> but preach on, preach on. Okay, okay, thank you, thank you. Yeah, most of us have a relationship to our bodies that's defined by this, um, this division where we think of ourself, our sense of self, primarily in terms of our intellect or our mind or cognition. So most of us have heard what Descartes has said, whether we knew it was from Descartes or not the idea that I I think, therefore I am. We assume that our thinking is the thing that defines our beingness, our Mm -hmm. identity, our selfness. And we live our lives, most of us not in childhood, but as we grow up from that position, we learn to separate from the body and see the body as a thing that carries the I or the self around. And what I'm trying to say with my book in, a con- in concert with many other people who are saying similar things and have said this kind of thing for a very long time is that, that that harms us and that that's actually not our natural state and that there is something that is missing in terms of both healing and wholeness individually and collectively when we see the body as a thing instead of the place where I exist instead of the, the substance of the self. And this might sound like a little controversial or maybe like a little out there or perhaps foreign or hard to get our minds around. And so for, for those of you who kind of like me really struggle to understand how this actually makes sense on a, on a practical or substantial level, I found it really helpful to see that, the, the neuroscience of cognition, so the, the actual kind of biological substrates of the, the thinking self actually originate in the body. So mm-hmm. even hard science is now telling us that the stuff of our thinking is actually just kind of the flower that's blooming on the soil or the terrain or the bulb or whatever of our embodied self. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really, really cool to start looking at all of the research that's coming out about that, about 
in the field of embodied cognition, like how, where perception happens from the way that some of our motor neurons fire before cognition even fires when we're reaching for something that we want. I mean, our body is alive and intelligent and a self. And yet it's so funny that the science knows that the heart, when we think about science being in a way kind of like really, um, rudim- rudimentary foundational, um, not in the esoteric, it seems when we learn about this research that it's actually kind of sp- like spiritually activating the way to mm-hmm. think about how science knows something that many of us in our common existence, um, don't really know, but it's about our, our beingness. It's about what is most true about us. Mm-hmm. So embodiment is really when we look at, um, kind of the, the thrust of this field and the philosophical tradition that it comes from and the therapeutic and clinical tradition it comes from, it's our way of saying, let's remember that we are a body first. Hmm. And let's remember that our inability to do that or our ability to do that is impacted by the culture we're in, our social context, how power is distributed, that our birthright is to be a body, but that based on the stories that are told about bodies, it makes it harder for some of us to stay in connection with that, but that we can all return to ourselves, that that's available to us because it is ours, because it is us. I know when you were talking with uh, answering Tommy's question, I felt this sense in my body of wanting to be like, so what's the answer? What are the five steps, you know, and you speak to that, um, in your book that we're have this perspective of let's just name it. And here's the, here's the, I don't know where that even comes from our anxiety, except for it's like, here's the black and white, you know, the, and I'd love for you to talk about how there is not just you, people come to you and they ask you for like, well, what's the solution? How do I get this healed? Mm-hmm. But that actually is more harmful than it mm-hmm. is helpful. And I'd love for you to speak a little bit into that. I want to normalize the asking of the question because <laughs> like when we are in distress and we realize that something is amiss, it is so good and so right to want to fix it. And yet, how we go about doing that might replicate the problem if we're not cautious or thoughtful. So the wanting to know is so good and the discharging to another person who has a different lived experience of being a body and assuming that I get to be the expert on how you reconnect to yourself as a body might miss some of the really important, in fact, would I would say likely miss some of the very important things about your existence as you're located sociopolitically, as you think about your connection to resources, ancestral, um, land-based, movement-based, I mean, whatever it is, like I, I don't get to be the authority on how you connect to yourself and build relationship with yourself. And in fact, it's other people telling you that they were the ones who had um, dominion over your connection to your body that was part of the injury in the first place. So it is unhelpful 
for me to come in and say, don't listen to them, listen to me and replicate the same system of, I think, giving you some sort of template that inhibits your ability to build a relationship with yourself. But I think we ask that question because we want to get to the other side, which is so good. I mean, I think of my couples work when I, when I have couples come in to do therapy, like I think of how frequently people want to get to the other side where they feel close and connected. And there is a rhythm of um, attunement and relational safety and intimacy, but sitting down and having the hard conversations and learning to listen and do the repair is such tough work that we're like, just tell me what I have to say. Just give me the six steps. But really what often connects us to a partner is the ability to slow down and be attuned and listen and really show up in a way that is oriented towards present and thoughtful connection. Mm -hmm. So I think of that in the same way with our relationship with our bodies. We want we want the roadmap sometimes as an escape from doing the work that will actually get us to the place that we think the roadmap will take us. <laughs> so what I do think, I mean, it's, it's kind of chung in cheek, but the roadmap is like listening, slowing down, abandoning the roadmap in a way, learning to build connection, um, authentically experiencing the unique language of your body and getting curious about how social context has shaped that and inhibited your connection with yourself and doing the work of showing up, listening, being thoughtful, I should say being bodyful, being attuned to sensation is not something that gives us an instant quick fix, but is kind of like learning to speak someone's language where if we do that consistently enough with enough open heartedness, we will arrive or we will begin to weave together the things that we learned were fragmented out, the mind and the body be become choreographed together with much more intimacy through all of that slowing down and showing up. I'm so struck by how deeply interwoven with transformative justice and restorative justice this is um and it, I, I can't I, I can't stop complimenting you but <laughs> but here comes another one um um the way in which you weave through talking about um locating ourselves in positionality um, is so healing mm -hmm. to I, I, one of the things that um, I was struck listening back to our last conversation was thinking through um, how sort of in our trauma responses, especially with black people, we can often find ourselves wanting to distance us ourselves from people uh, deemed white as a protective mechanism. And 
I, I don't think it's coincidental that the conversation around embodiment in the principles and practices of transformative and restorative um, justice coincide with one another. But you write with such an integrity that for me, and I can only speak from my experience, begins to heal this wound that wants to create distance hmm. and, and performs what the field sisters might deem as racecraft, the constructing of this racial divide hmm. um, that transforms into somewhere that I, that where I want to go, uh, talking um, sort of about oneness and you get to at the, at the end of um, your book, but why might those two things, embodiment and transformative and social justice, be so intertwined with one another? Hmm. Yeah, thank you, Tommy. I'm just struck by the significance of you sharing that. So I wanted to really honor kind of the the. It's not even subtext, kind of the the humanness in the question, the lived experience. Um, why are they, how you're wanting to know about the connection between these? I think yeah, yeah. like when we look at most of the, the hierarchies that exist in the ways that power is conferred on certain bodies, there is this binary split usually created by people who have, um, who have who have taken the most social power and have decided because of how their body shows up that they are at the top of the hierarchy. And so what this means, there's a few different ways I think that this is connected. Um, the impact of the hierarchy, like all other kinds of trauma, is a bodily one. To find yourself being devalued by a system that profits off of your invisibility or your subjugation is damaging to the body. So to be embodied is very naturally a way to create resilience and care for the self, even in a system that is saying you're not worth caring for, your body needs to disappear. So embodiment um, is protective when you find yourself being devalued by system that based on your body. But then the other piece of it too is that the people who are often kind of conferred the most social power find themselves um, kind of taking, taking resources, taking power away and somehow oh, in the awfulness of it end up at the top of this body constructed hierarchy often have the ability to be the most disembodied because their body is seen somehow as um, both ideal and an afterthought in a way that's really like really complex to try to describe like when I think about um, people who have the most constructed social power they don't have to think about their bodies in a certain way so there is a degree of disembodiment that happens the more your body is valued socially. It's this like kind of mind bending paradox here. So embodiment 
necessarily asks people who culture has said you don't have to think about your body or you don't think about you don't have to think about how power has been conferred on your body asks I'll just use myself in the situation asks us asks me to connect in a way that necessarily disrupts the way that bodies are forgotten in the way that necessarily disrupts the way that my body gets to be most valued and also an afterthought and then I think this is where like we have to trust there's like a little bit of like a leap of faith that has to happen when we connect in with our bodies after having been disembodied and disconnected I think that it is our natural orientation as human beings to be want to be in relationship and empathically attuned to other people and so when we are connected to our bodies, all of a sudden we long to and have the resources to care about other bodies, including bodies that our culture has said don't get to matter or are more important than ours. And we get to, we get to see the way that we, in our forgetting of the body or certain parts or ways of being in the body, have participated in the rejection or isolation or disenfranchisement or subjugation of other bodies. So this is all like um, really kind of uh, abstraction, kind of in abstract right now, but maybe I'll like get really tangible for a second. It is... It is harder for me to participate in like hustle culture, kind of um, hyper productivity capitalism when I'm not listening to my body's cues around hunger and rest and fatigue. But I notice that when I slow down and pay attention to my body cues around hunger and rest and fatigue, that not only is it harder for me to participate in those systems, but I start to be aware of the other people who don't have the choice to slow down or who don't have the choice to opt out of those systems who naturally have been um, like kind of relegated to the sidelines of society because their body moves at a different pace. And I start to see how I in some way am like them but also how I need to learn from them about what I missed the entire time that I was like hustling along. And our ability to attune to other people when we are emotionally regulated, when we are in our body, it is our, it is our wiring to be compassionate. That is the way that our systems have been designed. But when we are fragmenting ourselves out, we don't have access to that. So we can't, um, we can't resource ourselves to repair society because we have cut ourselves off from everything inside of us that is saying, pay attention to that person that's hurting over there. audience there as Hillary was speaking you could see Becca's body start to move from side to side 
um, and she, she put her hand over her heart and Olivia was nodding and her nod became like more furious, <laughs> more furious. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, the last three weeks have been this not even to do with holidays, even though that exists, but have been this very get stuff done, just go, 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 go. And when that happens, I have, in hindsight, I look back and see that it is like these invisible blinders to the humanity that it is around me and it's interesting because when I'm now at 44 when I'm in that space I also feel a tug in my body that is like silent screaming stop this isn't the authentic you but the desire to perform is outweighing never never let me rephrase that is speaking is trying to speak louder and so it causes a tension within my body which is another further distraction from being embodied in that moment Mm -hmm. um so that is what was going through my mind as Hillary, you were sharing um, your wisdom and your thoughts of how that I lit- I could visualize the blinders to the rest of humanity in my life in the last three weeks. And I do not, I'm not angry at myself for that, but it brings awareness and it was not only others detriment, but it was to mine because I was exhausted. There was no healing. There was no listening to my body. Olivia. So, uh, so I was processing several things all at the same time. So the, the first thing is I just feel like or I'm, I am acutely aware of the divine, what I call divine order and timing. So, um, so Hillary, I'm a, I'm a writer and I've, I'm in a part of a a writing group. And for the last six weeks, we've been writing about trauma. (laughs) The whole series has been about trauma. Every single week has been about trauma. And so, um, so to hear what you were just saying, and I couldn't even begin to recant it all to me, it's like, okay, so I've spent six weeks doing this deep dive, writing about traumatic aspects of my life that um, my friends know about, but that I've never put pen to paper to tell the story because it's just some mm-hmm. deeply traumatic stories. And so this series required me to do that. And then there's all the feelings that went along with actually pinning these trauma stories. Um, And so having done all of that, and, you know, uh, last, um, you wouldn't know, but Thursday was the last class. And so now here, (laughs) here we are having that conversation. So that was going through my mind. Um, And then just thinking about 
so much of the programming that I learned to don't have feel, you know, separate your feelings from everything else. Um, and, and so this, this, there was this, this, this one sentence that I had highlighted in the book that talks about, oh, no, that's not the one. Okay, if I can find it. Okay, I, I can't find where I highlighted it, but it, it was the whole thing that just, it just it was a point that kind of stressed about intellectualizing to the exclusion of everything else. And um, so I realized that part of the reason to do that is because it's, it's safer and I'm doing safe yeah. in air quotes um, because if I can just keep it in my head, I don't have to feel it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so mm-hmm. I was just, I mean, you know what, you know, Tommy's saying, what did you feel in my body? I don't even know. I was just process. It was just like all these things going through my mind all at the same she's time. She's doing waves, audience. You can't <laughs> yeah, see them, can't but with her hands, she's yeah, doing it's, waves. It's, 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 it's oh. if you, if you could like see inside, it's like, you know, these wheels are all turning and the interconnectedness of everything that's going on all at the same time. And this book is like the exclamation point at the end mm. of a sentence and the sentence has been the last six weeks wow. of this written exploration of trauma. Wow. Ooh, interesting timing, hey? <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. Oh, well, I'm so, I feel so grateful to know that there is a felt understanding of what is so easy to talk about in abstraction. Right? Mm-hmm. This is the whole thing. Like we can, these ideas really don't matter much until they get into our bones and our tissues. And so I'm so grateful that, that they feel like they map onto your life experiences in some way, because they very much do for me. Um, so we just had that really amazing conversation. Um, but to me, the most magnificent part of all of this, um, and I don't, I don't know how we go out. So I, I just want to drop this thing, and it's going to be a big, open, big, big way to go out, and and also I think a bow for our next conversation. But when you talk about, you have a, the last part of your book begins to bring in spirituality and the divine um, and our experience with God. And reading this, the, my most favorite part of reading this was that I was driving back home um, from Connecticut and we decided to take um, the long way, which is like through Pennsylvania um, and through the Apple, like kind of the Appalachians. Um, and so we, you're seeing mountains through the whole time and I'm listening to this woman, I think her name was Christine, narrate the book about embodiment, knowing your words. And I have this, this connection to you, even though it's like this virtual connection, um, to you and you talk about this experience of God through the body 
and their words won't do justice um but there was this moment in in driving in which i experienced this oneness and i felt mm-hmm. like you were sitting with me and um you were there and olivia was there because they were messaging back and forth like as i'm on the drive and i'm talking <laughs> to my partner and i just feel this immense sense of interconnectedness Hmm. Um, and so what might you send us out on Hmm. as we think about those intersections of the Hmm. divine and embodiment and this interconnected being yeah I think what a beautiful moment Tommy I'm so glad to be with you while that was happening in a kind of removed way but still together um, <laughs> breath breath feels like a really important one because I think about breath um, as what sustains us it takes us from birth to death and it is available to all of us in every single moment of our lives there's no one that is living right now that is not also breathing and so breath in our lungs right I think about it as being a way that we can remember that that the holy that the divine is as close to us us as our breath the holy sustains us like breath Um, our bodies breathe themselves like we don't have to consciously think about it so what I might leave us with when we think about that interconnectedness is after you're done this or maybe you pause this listeners take a breath and as you breathe allow yourself to experience the magic and the mystery of breath as something that sustains you, that connects you, um, that is happening through you, uh, that invites you into aliveness in every single moment and is available no matter what, no matter where, Mm. is something that this steady, steadiness, sustaining uh, force that we think of as happening in the background is is what is most important about helping us somehow be in this mystery of aliveness. So take a breath. That's what I would say. Thank you, Hillary. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yo, that was our show. Thanks for listening to Permission to Be. Um, thank you to our guests. So if you want more information, head on over to permissiontobepodcast.com to check out the show notes. Get some more information on our guests that we post over there. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating. If there's somebody that you want to see on this podcast telling their story, we also want to hear from you. So make sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, Permission to Be Podcast, and we'll see you soon.